Welcome to Investing Insights, partnered by Right Property Group. This is your host, Phil Tarrant. G'day, thanks for joining us. Uh, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group here with my uh, regular co-hosts, uh, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from the Right Property Group. How are you going, guys? You well? Very good. Excellent, mate. Excellent. How are you finding this chilly winter that we've just moved into? I'm a little over it already. Really? Uh, bring back 40 degrees. This cold weather's just not for me at all. I was looking at auction results yesterday on the uh, recording on a Monday. It was a Sunday night where I sit there and watch the news. The only time I watch the news is on a Sunday. And uh, they're talking about auction results. And auction results for the week are up, Steve, I'm told, rather than being down. Um, so up on the week before? When up it was on the week long, before. When it was down a long on, weekend. But, but, yeah. down on, but down on the year prior. So uh, I watch these every Sunday night. I just shake my head and I go, I don't know, number one, I don't know why they're even talking about it. Number two, is there actually any currency whatsoever in auction results? Look, I, I don't think so. I mean, the barometer is what, 60% is a, is a market of equilibrium, but there's just no context around the numbers whatsoever. The northern beaches might be at 87%, which is probably true. Mm. The western suburbs might be at you know, 40% and central coast might be at 20%. It's just a, it's an average figure. And if you put all your money based around the auction result numbers, no matter whether it's New South Wales, Victoria or, or Queensland, it's a pretty slippery slope. So don't worry about it. Don't look at it. Don't think about it. Um, I think the it. only thing it does is probably drive some sentiment in the market via the media. Uh, you know, you'll get some of the... The, uh, the commentators around it talk about it like it's yeah, it's pure gold, but that's probably the reason why it gets some momentum. Anyway, I don't know, Victor. I just don't know. Too many numbers in uh, in uh, in property investment. Way too many numbers. I get confused. I think, yeah. um. <laughs> what, what, what's your, what's, your, what, what's the what's the Victor Kumar key indicator? Hang on, I, 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 thought, I thought in the last podcast we had an indicator, which was the chikarol. Uh, no, I think we spoke about it off air, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is how many chikarols you could buy for. Well, was some weird. Uh, you, you, you're a radiographer by trade, you know. You know, maths and science and calculus. So I'm sure you've got a uh, some complicated formula to. Um, to to uh, I was going to <laughs> do tell <laughs> no no in all seriousness Victor what what do you so on a on a day to day week to week basis mm-hmm. you work in property you live and breathe property you love property it's what you do for a living you're good at it what are the numbers that you worry about to give you some sort of context or indicator about what the market's doing look I, I think by and large it is the finance and, and and the ability to get finance and how uh, hard or easy it is to get finance that dictates pretty much everything uh, and uh, you know if the finance is a lot harder you find that less properties are going to auction less properties are being sold and properties stick on the market for a lot longer uh, yet if finance is easier you find that most properties get pushed towards auctions um, properties stay on the market for very few days that's your biggest indicator is how easy it is to get finance and, and of course, um, uh, the ability to hold on to the property as well. That's a really good point. So your ability to get finance probably encapsulates both macro and micro economic factors. So it does. The bank's willingness to lend is an indicator of regulation, prudential oversight, mm-hmm. uh, all these type of things. Um, it also gives you a bit of an idea to what rate they're willing to lend, global financial markets, how they secure funds, uh, the competition with lenders. So mm-hmm. if you see interest rates coming down and specials coming up around particular uh, rates or incentives, you know that, oh, hang on a second, banks have got money to lend. So I like that as an indicator. And I think that's a, a really good point. What you've done there, Victor, thank you very much, is teaming up with a nice segue into the topic I want to talk today. And, and very much it's around, um, and Steve, you have said this for as long as I know you, that 
property investments a game of finance, right? So it's typically the finance which would dictate how you go about creating wealth through property. And a lot of people use finance in very different ways as a uh, a tool, the engine to um to create wealth through property. And finance often dictates the strategies that you operate within in terms of uh, uh, buying. So um myself, I've got a particular investment strategy that I use. Uh, I look to uh, find uh, under market value properties in sort of affordable belts that I can look to either add value over time or purchase under market value or do a renovation uh, and hold on those properties and hopefully keep them as, uh, as neutrally geared as possible uh, to help me grow uh, through properties. So that's one particular strategy, but there's a whole bunch of other strategies in property investment. You guys have some particular tenants that you follow uh, investing in property, but we're at a point in the market right now where things are are a lot tougher and have been tougher for quite some time. Victor, to your point, it's a lot harder to get finance mm-hmm. right now. And I imagine there's a lot of people who have gone down particular pathways to create wealth through property who might be feeling some stress right now. You know, For example, if, if one of your strategies is to live off the equity that you grow through your property and you can't get finance, well, you're probably eating baked beans and, uh, and dollar loaves of toast, right? Um, That's correct. So I want to have a chat about this. When you start seeing cracks appearing uh, within your investment strategy, and what the hell you do about it, whether you need to act on it straight away or it's something over time that you can look to rectify. Is that a pretty reasonable way if we can that, follow that, that is, today? Yeah, that is, and, and, and one of the key things that happens is, especially when there's a boom market or, or a very buoyant market, you see all of these new strategies that come up which has been you know, dressed up to focus on the sense, uh, you know, be making sensational, uh, especially with Facebook and, and uh, the social media these days. Uh, and is the money dries out and as the reality hits what you find is that these uh, strategies are no longer talked about and we then reset to what really works which is buying properties in fundamental areas buying for the long term and and buying with the uh, end in mind and not not trying to get uh, you know cheap wins um, because that's that's what gets you into trouble. So there's lots of different strategies, Victor. And before we get on this path of identifying when their cracks might appear, it might be a good chance for us to summarise some of those strategies. So I, I I just explain my strategy, and in many ways our strategy. You guys follow a very similar strategy in investing property. I, I I've never sold a property. I've only ever secured properties, and this is a long-term wealth creation for me. Uh, buying under market value properties in affordable areas that at a point in time I can there'll be some X factor that I can realize um what's some of the other strategies out there victor that um that you think we can just run through really quickly just so to give our listeners some some context of of where these cracks might appear one of the key ones would be uh to buy renovate and sell so in other words property flipping uh, is as most people call it uh or buy renovate and hold there are other strategies that that could be uh you know dressed up differently such as wraps or, or uh, lease holds and, and and so forth uh and then over you know many cycles we we tend to see you know the level of, of the equity um, strategy dressed up in many different ways these are just some of the ones that are more prevalent uh, or more talked about uh, these days uh, certainly there's there's value adds like you know strata subdivision uh, housing land packages and all this sort of stuff but i think the ones that stick out most in in today's market would be your uh, living off the equity your value add properties such as uh, renovate uh, renovate and hold or renovate or sell and and not ignoring of course the original which is you know buy and hold for the long term and waiting for that inflection point where your rental income surpasses your holding costs and therefore you can hold to perpetuity okay which is a very long term yeah that's right fiscally responsible strategy i would that's say right. but 
But Steve, let's just touch on this uh, fiscally responsible. Fiscally responsible. He likes throwing responsible. in the he likes throwing in the words that I can't pronounce, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the words you don't know, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> and hence comes the sledging, right? <laughs> Should have been nicer to me earlier, but uh, <laughs> is this payback for before? Maybe. Before we went on yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. So this live off the equity strategy, Steve, which. You know, it's a strategy which has held many Australians in really good stead. Um, it's a strategy which is good if property is going up in value, but we're in a bit of a, a state of flux in the market right now where if you look at the city market, for example, depending where you are, uh, there's talk of softening of sort of 5 to 10%. Um, uh, Melbourne's similar. Brisbane is pretty stable. You know, if you're down in Tasmania, you're probably increasing in equity at the moment, or you have done, but the absolute size of that, considering the marketplace, you're not going to be uh, living like a lord on uh, on equity increases in Tasmania off base prices of 250-odd grand. So is it okay? Is it, a, is it a, a market that we're in right now where it's possible to live off the equity? Uh, and I imagine there's going to be, it depends how much equity you've got, but what's your thoughts? That strategy, living off equity for me, is is probably the most dangerous strategy uh, that there is, I think it's a it's a fool's way, and I'm going to be crucified for saying that by a lot of other people. But nonetheless, is living off the equity mean you live off? That's your salary. Just that's just your salary. Equity. Yeah, so, that's your job. Yeah, that's your job. So in okay. essence, uh, just for round figures, you got a portfolio of a million bucks, goes up by ten percent a year. Just for my maths, that's a hundred thousand. You can get finance at eighty percent. You draw down eighty thousand, and you live off that. Buy a Rolex, a Bentley, a boat, or another house. But that's really really cool for whatever properties a are going up which they don't always do, and B, that you can always get finance, which you can't always get. So if we go into today's market, and let's just imagine you've got a Sydney portfolio that you've raped and pillaged, because that's essentially what you do year in, year out, that the market is contracted in certain areas, let's say by anywhere between, in our figures anyway, our data, anywhere between, say, 20% and 5%. In Sydney? In Sydney. Okay, I was 5 to 10, but you reckon the highest 20? As yeah. high as 20, no doubt. And you've got a, a contraction in the price of your property, therefore your equity base as well. Still got a mortgage to pay. Your debt's always increasing, so there's never an end point. At no point in time will you ever have that property as a uh, as an unencumbered asset, if that's what the ultimate goal is. So you still got the mortgage repayments, but then you've got to get finance. And if your sole income is derived from property, banks just do not like that. And so trying to get finance to service the debt, and it's a vicious circle from there. I just don't think it's an it's a it's a safe strategy at all. And I'm yet to meet more than half a dozen people that do it successfully. It's fundamentally flawed, right? So you, you're totally dependent on on your ability to get finance. And and this strategy really came into mainstream awareness back in the low doc yeah, the low loans doc, yeah. days. Um, and when you look at it now, um, those people that were uh, equity rich, they could they could live the higher life, so to speak, but try getting finance now. Um, with with the way the banks are lending money right now, you'd have to then obviously first of all service the loan, or service the debt, uh, which is ever increasing, uh, and then also have the ability because you've got used to that lifestyle, have the ability to draw down more money to be able to uh, maintain your lifestyle. You look at it in a sense that you're actually spending your wealth rather than your cash flow, and um, I'd rather spend the cash flow and maintain my wealth. Well, cash flow is supposed to help you create wealth, right? That's right. So it's the opposite. As Vic says, it's a flawed, it's a flawed strategy, and it's just death by butter knife. So is that a strategy though? It is. Yeah, yeah. It, is it is some people's strategy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly you've got to accumulate the properties beforehand mm. to, to a sizable portfolio in good areas for it to work. 
um, but it certainly is a strategy. But isn't that sort of retirement though? If you if you create a large property portfolio at a point in time, you say, I don't want to work anymore. The idea is you either generate enough income from uh, the rents of your property and they, they're at a point where either they're paid right down or you have a very low LVR so you can still service the debt and put some money on the table or you start selling off properties. Um, for many, that's that's a retirement. So is living off the equity just accelerating your, your retirement forward, allowing you to have the lifestyle that you want now? Slightly, because you know, when you retire and you've got the, the, the property portfolio, and if you were to do that, you've still got to service the debt, you've still got to be able to get a loan, and if you're retired with no other real income, well, it's going to be very hard to get that finance. So I look at it as a, a watered-down version of a a reverse mortgage situation, but early on. Yeah, that, that used to be pretty common uh, back in the uh, you know late 90s where you could get reverse mortgages. And so the target market obviously were the retirees mm. where they the bank would come in and give you 20 to 40% of the equity uh, as a set amount per year uh, with the cap being at 40% of the, um, of the value of the property. But you know, you look at it from a financial institute point of view, reverse mortgages right now are very hard to come by um, and, and there's so many hoops to jump through, which tells you through and through that the banking system doesn't quite like that strategy either. And like I said in the beginning, um, property investment is all about finance. If you can't get the finance, you can't control the wealth. You can't control the wealth, you don't have a lifestyle. It's a good point though, Victor, because a in the big scheme of things, banks and lenders right across Australia have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for some people, they might, might uh, the bank might own ninety percent of the property. For some people, it might be sixty percent. Some people might be fifty percent. And the goal, property investment, or even if you're a pocket owner occupier, is to pay down that debt so you own that asset. So, any piece of debt sitting on, and we talk about residential property here, means that the bank has skin in the game. So the bank Correct. wants property to go up. That's right. Banks don't like property not going up. Mm-hmm. Not uh, in their best interest. No, it <laughs> makes them very, very nervous. So reverse mortgage uh, scheme means that the bank takes even more skin more in the risk. game because yeah. they're speculating on the growth, whether it's positive or negative, uh, mm-hmm. in that particular property. And property over the last period of time has gone up in value considerably in Sydney and in Melbourne, in Perth, it's dropped it's down. considerably, right? So if banks were exposed to that Perth market during that period of time, giving people reverse equity, uh, reverse mortgages, they probably would have lost a lot of money. Yeah. And, and banks and don't like losing money. That's right. And and uh, you can bet there's a clawback system in there in that loan mm. where they can force you to finance out. And uh, you know, if you can't qualify for a loan or if the market is going backwards, uh, no other lender will step in and take over that mortgage. Yeah, I guess the the, the other side of the um, argument, uh, which is you know people that are pro pro uh, living on equity, uh, they may be saying that look, you know, you're buying properties in, you know in the in the in the so-called blue chip area, and it's always going to go up. But hand in hand with that, with these areas, your holding cost is quite more significant than uh, you know buying the affordable corridors. Um, so you know, whilst on one hand you may have good growth or predictable growth um, as far as the data is concerned, uh, may not be reality, um, you are also contributing a lot more from your pocket to hold on to that property until you reach that stage where you can actually, um, in inverted commas, live off the equity. A couple of ways we could look at this. You're, you're, I think you're trying to give a, a balanced opinion on uh, this particular strategy mm-hmm. um, and you're saying there's pros and cons for living off the equity. Uh, the reason why we're discussing this right now is that we're in a a market cycle where this particular approach of property investment, it's people may, may, may start people may start feeling uh, some stress. But my, my, I'll put it to you, Victor. I'd say 
you're only saying this because you um, you have a particular strategy. You feel as though that's the right strategy, and therefore that's what you think property investors should take. But I'm sure if we had some pro uh, living off equity people in here, they'd probably be saying, well, your approach isn't right, and um, these are all the reasons why. So I think we should discuss that. Let's have a look at the strategy that, that you guys uh, embrace, and that is... Um, buying um, more affordable properties uh, in mortgage belts, I guess you could say. Uh, so these aren't the premium properties. These are the properties who are typically, you know, out in the suburbs uh, mm-hmm. of the major capitals that don't give a, a big return in terms of absolute dollar value. Uh, they might be cheaper to hold, but they're not going to go up in value as quick. So as a dollar amount, just to interrupt that segue, mm-hmm. so we may get just once again, for the for the math's sake, Mount Druitt in its day might have got 10% per annum and let's say Bondi did as well clearly 10% of $200,000 back then is not as much dollars as you know 10% of half a million so whilst the percentage growth may be the same and sometimes it outperforms the average and sometimes it doesn't mm. the dollar amount is clearly not the same the point then is that are you better off having the same amount of growth in um, more affordable areas versus more premium areas you're getting 10% on both sides, but it's about, it all comes down to risk, right? It you does. Know, yeah. are, are you going to be able to... Oh, there's a couple of things. Can you get more $200,000 properties or probably now $400,000 properties in and diversify your mm. uh, diversify your portfolio versus one really good blue chip property that over time will probably perform quite well? So Look, these, and these and are discussions really good, that need happening. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And, mm. and once again, we're not... And we don't profess that the strategy that we undertake is the only strategy. There's 100 strategies out there that are very, very successful. This just fits with our risk profile. And at the end of the day, I would... And having spoken from experience, or speaking from experience, I would much rather control five two hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely, they're not two hundred thousand dollars properties, but I'd rather control five three hundred and fifty thousand dollars properties than one point seven. What's a property in Mount Druitt worth today? Like about a half a three a three bedroom house, half a mil, half a million dollars. Yeah, you know, so you park that same five hundred in any other capital city in Australia. You're probably sort of middle of the road, maybe well, moving into your premium areas. You know, well, it's well, like, and let's, Tasmania, for example. Well, uh, and let's be fair too. Just you know, one person's premium is. And not another. Yeah, but we just prefer the, the the more affordable corridors because it gives us consistency uh, in our portfolio. We're not saying that the, the affordable properties are the only uh, portion of a portfolio. It's just a really good building base. And then as you become more experienced investor, well, then you can branch out from there. But at least you've got a really solid base to to fall back on. But we just don't do the blue chip, trip chip, blue, blue chip, chip, chip. How blue chip would you go blue chip? So it's a really, it's a tough Aqua. one, right? You know, you, you, <laughs> aqua chip. I think about your portfolios that I know of. I know you both have sizable portfolios. You've been in this game for probably three or four times longer than I have. Um, you know, you, Victor, were personally buying a lot of property out in Campbelltown 15 years ago. Yep, yeah, 19 um, years ago. 19 yeah. years ago, when property back then was low 100,000s of dollars. Now, yeah, uh, you know, they're, 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 in many ways, blue chip properties. Yeah, you know, because, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and I think we need to look at this this context of blue chip. Blue chip typically means water views in an expensive suburbs, but city um, in, in a city, in a city yep. you know. And and you said this to me before, Victor, that your your mindset or logic around what it means to live within five kilometres of CBD. the CBD. Hmm. So if you're within five kilometres of the Parramatta CBD, that's akin to being five kilometres from Adelaide, uh, Parramatta's bigger than Adelaide. So, Absolutely. Uh, I think Campbelltown, I think Blacktown, I think Hornsby, I think Penrith. I think Campbelltown's uh, like eight times the size of Hobart, isn't it? 
It is. Yeah, I'll take that on, on notice now. <laughs> I'm just taking it. I'm just having a dig. Let's have a quick chat about that concept because I know we're, we're sort of shifting a, a little bit away from this this idea of um, uh, living off the equity in blue chip areas. But if you're within two kilometers of the Parramatta CBD, I'd say you've probably got a blue chip property. Absolutely. Yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. Today. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think the definition of blue chip has changed over a period of time, right? So when, when uh, you know, initially people talking about blue chip, obviously they're talking closer to the main CBD, suppose got 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, because that's where the jobs were, right? That, that's where um, the people with the cash flow tend to live. But what's happened over a period of time is obviously we've got this uh, um, decentralization where um, you know, jobs with, with the um, uh, advances in technology and all that, they get, they, you could be anywhere and, and, and still maintain a decent wage um, and have a have a um, strong chance of getting multiple chances of employment. Uh, so your uh, five and ten kilometer ring of the main CBD is no longer relevant, uh, and so your blue chip becomes uh, your five and ten kilometer uh, ring within your um, employment node. So your your in New South Wales, your Camel Downs, your Black Downs, your Parramatta's, um, and and uh, you know your Gosfords and and Wollongongs because that's where the employment is. Uh, and, and therefore that becomes blue chip because there's a lot of money going through that local economy, uh, given that there's new money coming in rather than old money, uh, where people are have now got their degrees, their masters, and, they, and they're, they're working in more white collar jobs than, than anything else. Uh, and they don't actually need to travel into the city to actually uh, do the job, or if they are traveling into the city, the train journeys are fairly easy. Uh, obviously I wouldn't, wouldn't wanna drive every day uh, to, to the main CBD in a car. Um, but the train journeys are fairly easy. The, the net transport network is pretty good. So you, your, your blue chip definition, I believe, has changed significantly. So us uh, in, uh, investing in the affordable corridors, uh, they're affordable from a cash flow point of view. They're affordable from a capital point of view. Uh, yet the, the specifics of that property market is pretty much the same as is your inner city in the main CBDs, uh, except perhaps you know we're paying probably ten dollars less for our for our smashed avocado. But just to get some context around the whole affordability scenario, as we mentioned earlier on, half a million dollars is the affordable corridor in Sydney now. So we need to get some context mm. around that, and I also think. For us, affordable corridors might be affordable within an area. So yeah. we might go to, just because we're in where are we today? North Sydney, that there might be some affordable corridors around here that are just well below the North Sydney average. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, you, you, if you consider this concept we're talking about, where you have this dynamic of uh, blue chip areas within a five to 10 kilometers of, of an employment node, so a hub. Uh, let's take Blacktown, for example. You could probably still buy a fibro, three-bedroom, original house uh, in Blacktown, um, you know, the back of the TAFE there or near the hospital for, you're probably going to drop 650, 700 on that yeah. right now. Mm. Um, then if I drive down Sunny Holt Road uh, towards Windsor Road, I'm going to be bypassing the ponds and I'm going to be looking at property now at one, one point, well, 1.3, 1.4 million. For the land, you know, sorry. For, 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 yeah, for, yeah, yeah for, 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 for house and land. Yeah. And you're talking, that's probably five to five to 10 kilometres uh, there, within Blacktown, you could probably get a two-bedroom apartment for four hundred. Uh, you haven't looked recently, but so there you've got a disparity of four hundred to one point four. If you go a little bit further out over Windsor Road, you're talking Castle Hill, you know, and 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 there you've got two plus million. You've got beautiful, beautiful properties out there. So that's the dynamic in action. Same thing from Castle Hill to Parramatta. It's about 
10 kilometres or so, wouldn't mm. it be? And um, without the and w- Castle Hill, without the infrastructure. Without the infrastructure. Yeah. Well, they're, they're finally getting a train line through, which is pretty impressive. But um, So this this concept of affordability is a very interesting one, but it, also, it comes down to the fundamental principle of what makes property markets move and uh, the diversity of property around a particular employment node. And Blacktown's a city, mm-hmm. Hornsby's a city, yep. Chatswood's a city. Anyway, we got off the topic of it living is, yeah, off the equity. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, before before you do that, there's something that you you, you said that was re- pretty pertinent, right? So you, Ooh, when you, hey, when yeah. you uh, which is hey, very unusual. Is very yeah. unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, with um, uh, you know the price discrepancies in the Blacktown market, so in Blacktown council, so you, we've got your five hundred thousand dollar properties, yet we've also got our million and a half properties as well. So there's a big gap between market e- expectations. So you've got a ceiling of one point five, and you're getting in at five hundred. Obviously, the five hundred thousand dollar property is not a one point five million property, but mm. the the um, uh, residents same, in the same council area, same council area, yeah. the residents are used to now the one and a half million as something that's tangible. So you you get a far greater chance of growth as more infrastructure is poured into that, uh, and the area becomes touted as being the affordable area. Mm. You get more people coming in there, and and automatically the price resets. Uh, because you've got a natural ceiling of 1.5, so it, it bounces up to that. Um, I'm not saying that $500,000 property will become a 1.5 overnight, but you've got more chance of that happening. So you say there's a much bigger margin in there. So like, Correct. You know, if you go back to your your markets where we are right now, I'm looking out the window and I see Neutral Bay. Um, you know, your your percentage difference between your bottom property and your top property is it's probably not, not that great. Not, yeah. yeah, unless it's like a studio versus a mansion on the water. Yeah, it's uh, interesting dynamics. Um, Just out of interest, though, yeah. because you mentioned Blacktown and how's my numbers? Because I'm concentrating on what you've got to say. Mm. It's, I just, I'm on realestate.com and I've just found a unit in the same complex that we bought for two hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars in Blacktown. Now on the market between five twenty-five and five sixty-five. Whereabouts is it? It's Flushcombe Road. Oh, Flushcombe Road. Yeah. Okay. So, I did, how many is, years is that? I, I know so, which number. I, d- I delivered pizzas in Blacktown when I was at university <laughs> for four years, so I know every street. Break and enter is not classified as <laughs> <laughs> delivering pizzas, easy, mate. Easy. <laughs> um, how long ago is that now? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Okay, so easy. ten years ago we we're buying them at the two twenty mark. Yeah. Wish I bought some of them. Should have known us. Yeah. I know. All right. Procrastinating. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Anyway, yeah. doing other things back yeah, then. Was concentrating <laughs> in buying the blue chip areas. I was. Yes, no, no, no. But um, so strategy. So how do you know, Victor, if, if you start to see cracks in your strategy? So um, we spoke about one strategy in particular, that is living off the equity, i.e. property keeps going up in value, you keep refinancing, it takes some money out so you can live, and hopefully it keeps going up in value. How do you know that you might start to find yourself in a bit of trouble? Or if you're probably doing that, you probably already know you're in a you bit of trouble. You probably already know you're in trouble because yeah. the bank's already starting to say no. Mm. Um, and you know, especially if the market's turning against you as well, uh, you've got a double whammy happening. Yeah. So what do you do? Sell up? Yeah, you know. It, weather the storm. Go weather get a the job. storm, if you can. Uh, Become an job. Uber driver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's an easy way. Actually, no, mate, who uh, thought about becoming an Uber driver just to cover some short-term cash flow problems. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a big property investor, good portfolio. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you, you do have to actually uh, then show up the cash flow, right? The negative cash flow, uh, which highlights the main problem with that strategy of living off the equity is at some point in time, you've got to find the money to pay the loan back. Yeah, and and, and uh, especially if the market's turning against you, first of all, you can't sell that really quickly because you've, you've leveraged it to the hilt. Well, and if it's here. prestige property as well, it's a lot yeah. harder shift than a, than a place in Blacktown problem. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that you know, if, if I were 
if I were building a portfolio all over again, um, that would be one strategy I'd give a very wide berth. Do you know what might be a good idea, Victor, is uh, on the Smart Property Investment Show, so a sister podcast to uh, Investing Insights or Right Property Group, which I host, maybe get a proponent of uh, the... Um Oh, yeah, that uh, sounds good uh, already, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of the uh, live off the equity and, and we roll out you mm-hmm. or Steve or whatever and uh, we can do a bit of a, a bit of a boxing match and uh, so see as you buy the off. coffee, Phil, I'm a yeah, Don't worry. I yeah, that's an I awesome idea. You get a prestige coffee, it's $4 here in North Sydney. But uh, <laughs> what do you reckon? Would you come up? Would you be up for that? Of course, head absolutely. Head to head, toe to toe? Absolutely. Who else? Okay, so if we're going to do this then, I can uh, think and maybe, maybe this is something for, for our listeners, Victor, um, who... We've got a lot of passionate, loyal listeners to to the Investing Insights Right Property Group, so maybe a chance for them to actually say, "Okay, well, I'm thinking this strategy, this strategy, this mm-hmm. strategy. Let, let's let's pull some people in, and uh, I'll do it on the Smart, Smart Property Investment Show. That's um, awesome. And uh, so we've got you guys, the mm-hmm. proponents of your strategy. Yep. We've got a um, live off the equity strategy. Who else would we want to pull in? Do you think, or let us know? I think development strategy, development strategy, because that is a, that is a a strategy, and there's a time and a place for that. I don't know. Negative gearing strategy. Is that a strategy? Negative gearing. Oh, Maybe we could bring Mar- Margaret on. She'll uh, <laughs> yeah. Margaret yeah. Lomas will have a uh, field day with that. So negative gearing is not a strategy, Margaret would say. It and is I agree with a moment it. in time. You know, it's it a, is a truth. Yeah. It's, it's a tax outcome. Yeah, uh, but, right. it, but it is a strategy. There's a lot of people who people. would go and sell that as a strategy. So. Well, you only have to jump on Facebook and see the copious amounts of sponsored posts. Especially at this time of the year. Right? Yeah, hundred, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, uh, so it is a strategy. Pay $3 tax to get a dollar back. or A cup of coffee a week or a day, isn't it? Isn't it the catch cry? Yeah. All right. I think we should do that. And if there's anyone out there who would like to throw another strategy in the mix, uh, uh, get in touch. Um, and go through Just, you guys, I guess, and, yeah. and pass on to me. I'll do it on the Smart Property Investment Show. I'll bring it all in. And uh, what about wraps? Wraps, mm. options, yeah. lease to purchase. Yep. Yeah. 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 You can have a whole panel up there. You could have ten. And go and make friends with everyone and pretty quickly. And have the worm. You know, yeah, like the, the worm. elections. Maybe. <laughs> The thing's that, you know, I, I'm a part-time property guy. Like, I, I really enjoy catching up with you guys every single month. And we have a good chat. Me and you chat offline a lot because uh, you work with me on my portfolio, Steve. But I'm very much a part-time property guy, right? So uh, this is the nice part of my job when I get to talk about property and normally doing other things, which which is very different to what I'm doing right now. But my view of property investment, and this is just my humble opinion as a, a punter who invests in property, I've got a reasonable portfolio, is that if it's complicated and hard to understand and if I don't get it yeah you don't need to overcomplicate property investment and a lot of people will overcomplicate it and tell you that's the secret source mm. so then that's probably a good conclusion to this podcast uh, keep it simple uh, for anyone like keep it simple let's be fair we've spoken about two strategies really today there's this living off the equity strategy and it's a strategy that you guys embrace but there's umpteen other strategies out there as well so as a property investor if you're tuning into this podcast you're obviously looking to to inform and be educated uh, around property investment you're probably going to hear of a hundred other potential strategies uh some of them are going to be straightforward some of them are going to be very difficult to understand and uh, uh, if you struggle understanding the concept of investing in property I'd probably use that as a red flag to say yeah, maybe if it's that complicated it might not be the right thing to do because Victor it shouldn't be complicated should it should it? not be complicated buy well yep. hold on to it make sure you get your rent so it pays off the loan and just wait for time to That's work exactly in your, right. on your side and hold it for a couple of property pro- mm. property cycles and yeah, and and also you need to be adjusting your strategy in line with the market. So as finance gets harder, point. you need to yeah. you need to start looking more cash flow or uh, you know actually stop buying for a little while. If you're just starting to build out your portfolio, you've got to start from good fundamental areas and and make sure you're looking at your uh, you know the amount of negative cash flow you're going to carry uh, as you in the build phase or the acquisition phase of your portfolio. But and I'm a strong believer of you know, you shouldn't have the loans hanging around for a lifetime. 
you need to actively look at ways of paying it off so that you can control the cash flow and and you know then all of these strategy strategies um, and, and the dilemma of which strategy all fades away because you're actually controlling the income and that's what investing is all about you're controlling the income and you're letting the wealth creation happen in the background in other words the equity build up happen in the background so look after your cash flow Correct. and the equity should happen that's right fair sounds good all right as a conclusion i hope we've done a reasonable justice to this particular topic uh we got two strategies out of the yeah, way two <laughs> strategies out of the way the other 22 we didn't really touch <laughs> yeah they're out there though if you if you're wondering you know how you find about more different strategies google probably investment strategies you'll come up with a thousand of them victor let's sign off i think mm-hmm. i think it's, it's been a really good podcast how long we gone for way too long what can people do if they want more info from you guys how do they track you down they could send us a uh, email on questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or they can reach out on our Facebook page uh, or just um, uh, go to our website, uh, rightpropertygroup.com.au. Or they can ring us. Or they can ring us, yeah. Call you. Do you have a 1-800 number, 1300? Uh, 1-300-302-166. There you go, cool. And uh, questions as well. We've got, um, I know you've got a, a folder in your email with all these different questions sort of tucked away. Are we ready to do a Q&A session? Yeah, we might soon? do a Q- Q&A uh, session sometime soon because there's quite a few questions that have come in. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, most of them have got a common theme, uh, so we might group them and and uh, uh, you know attack them at that time. Yeah, and if anything particularly you want to know, just uh, uh, email Victor and the team, uh, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au and make sure that you are included. Steve, any parting words of wisdom? No, okay. no, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Victor, you always got some party words of wisdom. Uh, Steve's already departed. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it a good time, Steve? This is your last chance. Oh, here we I'm go. Gonna, I'll give you 30 seconds to answer this question. Is it a good time to invest in property and why or why not? Uh, as long as your financial footprint is under control and you have ample buffers in place, whether it be capital or cash flow, uh, there is always a market somewhere if property investing is your thing. Uh, GFC is a really good example of that. It was an awesome time to invest in property. So yes is the short answer. It is a good time. Just make sure that uh, every bit of mitigation that you have uh, is in place. Fair enough. Victor, I'm going to give you the same opportunity. Parting word of wisdom. Listen to what Steve says. Yeah. So one one more thing though, (laughs) just because we're way over time. There's a lot of doom and gloom in the media, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Money is cheap. Yeah, It's just the banks are limiting it to who they're wanting to and lend financing it to. cycles will change as well it's not it going to be like this forever yeah we don't have a gfc scenario where prices are free falling and we don't have interest rates at seven or eight percent it is very very cheap money so just look at the fundamentals in terms of yeah. qualifying for finance yeah. get rid of those car leases get rid of those credit cards make and that'll improve your borrowing yeah. uh, scenario it's just people still need accommodation over their heads immigration and population growth is still very strong Employment is not as strong as, as the government would like to see, but money is cheap. Consumer confidence is high. Cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, remember, there is a, a whole bunch of other podcasts, uh, Investing Insights of Right Property Group, that we have recorded over the... We've been out for about nearly a year and a half now. With this. So uh, there, there's one every month. Um, pretty much anything you've ever wanted to know about property investment, you could probably go and find it in one of those podcasts. Um, our uh, the most previous one we did in May, 25th of May, was breaking down the investment process where we just spoke about some of the boring stuff associated with being a property investor, and that is like following the process, but it's the stuff you absolutely need to get right if you're going to be successful. Go and check it out and all the other podcasts that we've done. And as we said beforehand, any questions at all, whether it's about this podcast or anything we've done in the past, uh, Steve and Victor would be happy to take your queries. Questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. 
Uh, We'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Investing Insights Podcast. Thanks to Right Property Group. For more shows like this, check out the Smart Property Investment Show podcast network now. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.